0: Well again, good afternoon, everybody. Delighted to see you all here, and to be here for this great feast, and for this magnificent Gospel. Something you find in almost all the resurrection appearances, is a coming together of two things. Jesus shows his wounds, and then he says, shalom, peace. Look at story after story. The two moves are there, the wounds, and then the Shalom. They go together. What do the wounds of Jesus symbolize? They symbolize our sin. In one of the earliest charismatic sermons, we hear this. The author of life came, and you killed him. See, that's meant to be a permanent judgment on all of us sinners. The author of life came. God came in the flesh. What was our reaction? Delighted to have him, responding to him as good disciples, following him anywhere? Denial, betrayal, cruelty, injustice, stupidity, running away for our lives. The author of life came and we killed him. The wounds of Jesus, therefore, are judgment on the world. Now, um, when I was a kid, back in the 1970s, there was a book called I'm Okay and You're Okay. Remember? Some remember that book. I'm okay and you're okay. See, that's inimical to the gospel. Because if I'm okay and you're okay, deep down we're all just great people. We don't need a Savior. Maybe we'll turn Jesus into a, a guru or a teacher or you know, someone that embodies timeless spiritual truths. Well, ho-hum, there are thousands of, of figures like that. The gospel, the good news, hinges on the fact that there's something irreducibly the matter with us. I'm not okay, and neither are you. And the way we know that is the wounds of Jesus. You know that great story told about Teresa of Avila, the great mystic? And the devil, they say, appeared to her in the guise of of the risen Christ. But she saw right through the ruse, and she said, "Begone, Satan. And before he left, though, he said, how did you know I was a fake? And she said, because you have no wounds. That's always the giveaway. Jesus shows his wounds to his first disciples up and down the ages to his church and to us. Don't believe the myth that everything's fine with us. Now, notice something, too, please, everybody. We human beings have always engaged in this kind of, I'll call it, psychological exculpation. You know, we, we absolve ourselves psychologically. We find excuses. Oh, I, I didn't really mean it. Uh, deep down, I'm a good person, right? That's always been true. What's happening today in our time, in our culture, which is really remarkable, is what I would call a sort of metaphysical exculpation. <laughs> what I mean is now we start saying, I, I define my own life. I decide what good and evil are. I I determine value. I determine my own identity. See, that's saying at the deepest possible level that there's nothing wrong with me. I'm the maker of my own uh, value system. A metaphysical exculpation. You know, Chesterton had a line from 100 years ago, but it makes even more sense today. He said, men today have lost their way. That's not surprising. Men have always lost their way. But today, they've lost their address. (laughs) But that's even truer today, I think. we, We don't even know where we're going. The wounds of Jesus, the wounds of Jesus. Don't forget what you did. Don't forget what the sin of the world did. The author of life came, and we killed him. Okay, okay. That's part of the story. That's the first thing he does. But then he says, shalom. And of course anyone that's, that's ordered to the biblical world knows the power of that word, shalom, peace. But it's everything. That means salvation. It means life. It means what the heart most longs for. And my soul is yearning for you, my God, the psalmist says. What the heart is yearning for is shalom, See, peace. Having shown his wounds, so don't forget what you did, Jesus then says, peace. Now, now, in that juxtaposition of wounds and shalom, it seems to me, we have what the church calls salvation. You know, that word from salus, meaning health, it means healing, salvation. Our word salve is like that, S-A-L-V-E. He's the savior, the salvator, we say in Latin, the healer. Having reminded us of our sin, Jesus now says, shalom. We killed God, and God returned in forgiving love. <laughs> That's the gospel. That's salvation. It means, listen now everybody, it means in principle, there's no sin that God can't forgive. Because we killed God. That's what his wounds mean. The author of life came and we killed him. And yet he returns in forgiving love. See, that's exactly why Paul can say, I, I'm certain that neither death nor life, neither angels nor principalities, neither height nor depth, nor any other creature can separate us from the love of God. He knows it because we killed God, and God returned in forgiving love. That's the Gospel. You know, a principle from Billy Graham I always liked, the great Protestant preacher, he said to uh, students of preaching, you should all be able, at the drop of a hat, with no preparation, to preach the Gospel to anybody. Uh, There's a group of young kids out there, they want to hear from you. Okay, I can preach the gospel to them. There's some teenagers, that they need to hear from you. Okay, I can preach the gospel. There's a group of seniors. I'm ready. You should be ready at the drop of a hat to proclaim the gospel. Now, I don't entirely subscribe to Dr. Graham's version of the gospel, but I think that principle is really good. And I would say it to, to any seminarian, anyone aspiring to preach, you should be able at the drop of a hat to preach the gospel you could do a lot worse than this. What's the gospel? The author of life came and we killed him, but he returned in forgiving love. That's salvation. That's the good news. Just a a last thought now with Thomas in mind, who plays such a role in this gospel. It says, Thomas is not with the other disciples when Jesus first came. And therefore, he didn't believe their story of the resurrection. But then he returned. He came back to the circle of the apostles, and Jesus came, and this time he believed, even to the point of making the most magnificent confession of faith in the whole Bible, my Lord and my God. In some ways, the culminating point of all the biblical revelation, when Thomas the doubter can say in the presence of Jesus, my Lord and my God. How was he able to see? Because he was in the circle of the church. Outside that circle, he didn't get it. Outside that community, he didn't believe it. But in the church, he got it. See, everybody, that's the key here now. What is the church? Who are we? We are that community, up and down the ages to the present day, who embody this great message. We've been drawn into the power of salvation. And so we can announce it confidently. We can show it in our lives. And that's why people come to believe it when they're in our midst. See, that's why we have this summons from Jesus himself to draw people into the church. Draw them in, draw them in. This is not a matter of indifference. Oh, we're all spiritual people, you all walk different paths. That's not biblical. The biblical message is, no, go and preach to all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Draw them into the church. Because in that church, they get the message of salvation, which is the message of the divine mercy. I'm not okay, neither are you. You know, we're all sinners in this room. Chesterton again, we're all in the same boat, and we're all seasick, right? Okay, we're all sinners, but but the author of life returned even to his killers in forgiving love. Let's draw everybody we can into the community of the church so they can come to believe the same great message.